Hey, the world's full of fantastic music. Each month, we explore an album of significance, its roots, how it makes us feel, and then banter about its influence and staying power. Join us on our journey as we dissect, discuss, and discover some of the world's greatest albums on The Sonic Collective. Brought up all the cooking, nutty, bought it for the time. My sister had another one, she paid it for the lime. She put the lime in the cooking, now she drank and poured up. She put the lime in the cooking, now she drank and poured up. She put the lime in the cooking, now she drank and poured up. She put the lime in the cooking, now she called it doctor. Hello and welcome back to the Sonic Collective. I'm Darren Scott. I'm joined with Scott Gregory. Scott coach all the way over in Thailand and also here in Calgary with other Scott and myself, Alan Dupuy. Uh, this month we chose, I chose, it was my round, I chose Harry Nilsson's Nilsson Smilson. If you go back, we always do a little pre-episode uh, mini podcast that explains why we picked it. And basically, to summarize really quickly, I had received a record collection from my mother-in-law's best friend. And this was like sealed in a box for 40 years, 250 records, most from the 70s and 80s. Also a record player. It was just amazing. Still, I'm still vibrating thinking about it. But I decided I'm going to pick an album from this selection. Uh, it was really hard, but I ended up on Harry Nilsson, Nilsson Smilson. And now I had kind of, the guy rang a bell. I knew I'd heard that album cover and I knew that it was supposed to be influential, but I didn't really know much. And I'm going to get into that once I get into my review, but um, I was intrigued. And anyway, a friend of mine, Kelly Shaw, uh, came over one night. Uh, we went to the Royal Blood concert. And then uh, afterwards he came over and he's like, oh, let's put this one on. So we put on Nielsen Smilson, started to listen to it. So anyway, I'll just do a few facts and then I'll pass to the guys and we're going to see what we think about this album. But uh, really, it was a November 1971 release. Uh, it's only 35 minutes long, which is crazy short. And I have some points on that too. Um, but very interesting now, you know, especially uh, uh, hip hop artists, rap artists will have these crazy like triple release albums and they're like three hours long and uh, just tons of songs. But, you know, is it just, uh, you know, uh, I don't know too many songs versus quality, you know, quantity versus quantity remains to be seen. Um, anyway, um, you know, with that, uh, let, let's pass it over to the guys because I'm really interested to see what they thought because I know none of us really, really knew this guy that much. I'm going to throw it to Scott Gregory to start us off. Scott, what did you think? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I knew nothing about, or I thought I knew nothing about this guy uh, before we got in. Uh, just off the top, it really reminded me of uh, we had reviewed pendulum by ccr before and it's right in that pocket of time and i really enjoyed pendulum and i actually enjoyed this more <clears throat> and without putting a lot of deep thought into it i think this isn't like the top five of albums that we've done that i enjoy it's broken in it was just a delight to listen to uh all the songs just have a clean well-executed 70s sound to them it's well put together um you know, I'd throw it in the same category because it doesn't quite sound like CCR. So I don't want to give that as a misleading uh, statement. I think it's more like Wings or Trooper for, you know, the the type of sound in the mix. Uh, and I mean that in the most complimentary way. I love both of those bands. And, and I'm just really amazed in general by what Harry can do with his voice. He just really defies easy classification uh, and comparison because he just he it seems like he changes it up so much on on every track right he, he's all over the map as far as what he's doing and I, I like that but the album itself still feels like a, a cohesive experience 
Uh, I found that's the same with the instruments as well, too. Lots of diversity. He'd swap between piano and organ as uh, appropriate to the types of songs he was doing. Uh, the balance between electric and acoustic guitars in there, depending on, you know, if he was going bluesy or more ballady. All that was, it was a delight. I keep using that word, but uh, the three covers that he does on here, they really pay respect and stay true to the originals while still putting his own stamp on it enough to be interesting and, and familiar to his own listeners. And <clears throat> yeah, I can just see why this album is rated so high on the top 100 lists for the 70s and top 500 all-time lists. Uh, for the individual tracks, I, I'd mentioned there's three covers here. I'd never heard Early in the Morning be before, originally done by Louis Jordan and his Timpani 5, I believe. Uh, there was a lot of Cuban vibes on the original, and he just took this, he stripped it down, and turned it into a really bluesy rock rendition with some 70s organ and basically just his buttery voice over top of it. I really enjoyed it. Without you... Uh, I didn't know it was actually not his song. It's one of the things I recognized instantly when I heard it. And then when I went and looked at the uh, the song list, it was actually uh, Badfinger, I believe, that did it before him. Right. Uh, like yeah. the year before him. He covered yeah. a song that, you know, wasn't even up for nomination for awards yet, basically, kind of thing. And then just crushed it. Yeah, totally right, and and the original is great in that, it, but it's different in that it's really sharp. It ends all the words like it's more of a rock kind of sound to it, and he's turned it into a ballad. and And I like them both because they know what they are, and, and I like different things about them. But he did; he crushed it. It's probably, you know, the most known. I don't know how well the Mariah Carey version uh, plays, but this is definitely one that I recognized. And then uh, Let the Good Times Roll by Shirley and Lee. I think most people old like us recognize that song. Uh, just another very true rendition. Um, and what was interesting was that even though they're a duet, there was no harmonies on the original, but he does harmonies even though he's a solo artist on his version. So uh, I thought that was an interesting part of it. Uh, I honestly didn't know he was the coconut guy either was the big thing. Yeah, so that was yeah. a surprise. I saw the name and it didn't click. And then the song started. I'm like, holy crap. This is that song. This is where it's from. This is who's singing it. Uh, and, and I love that. Uh, I've always wanted to hear that song covered by Frank Zappa. Uh, I know that will never happen. But uh, the song, the original song itself is pretty much perfect. It's layered. It's irreverent. Uh, and it's on the playlist immediately. Uh, the last two ones I really want to speak to is just Jump Into the Fire because it's my favorite song on the entire album. I have a soft spot for Southern Rock, Stadium Rocky kind of sounds uh, that are just really mind-blowing acoustic assaults on the sentence. Uh, and this is just distilled and purified that. Uh, I'm pretty sure Darren can tell me exactly which strain of cannabis to pair this song with. Uh, <laughs> but it's already pretty out there without it. So... It's like if you've seen Apocalypse Now, it, there's at least like three scenes in that movie where the, the song would just be perfect. Not not the end where, you know, you're not replacing the end by the doors for the climax, but huh. some of the other more manic scenes, you betcha. This is just a crazy song uh, that really tickled me. Uh, and the last song on the album, I'll Never Leave You. Um, Spotify says it's the least listened to song on the album, and I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you liked it. Uh, Alan, what do you think? All right. Yeah, I've collected some thoughts here. Uh, oftentimes when we're reviewing albums, 
we'll point out whether or not we think the album in question sounds like it holds up or seems, you know, more contemporary than its release date suggests. And I think it's fair to say that Nilsson Schmilson is not one of those albums. Uh, my first impression is that sonically, it's very rooted in the era it came from, which would have been like nineteen, like the early nineteen seventies. And that's not a value statement; it's just an observation. I don't favor any sound that is more contemporary, and I don't favor anything that's old. Um, this album just definitely sounds like it came from the early seventies, and I think. Uh, I attribute that to maybe how it was recorded as well as some of the weird instruments that found their way on the album throughout some of the tracks. I mean, they were using like harmonicas and accordions. There were some Moog synthesizers and a membranophone, whatever that is. I don't know, according to Wikipedia. Uh, And another observation I made is that every song seems to have like a certain quirky quality to it. Um... Like, the songs are fun and playful, but they're also kind of odd. And I can't really put my finger on why. Even though, like, even a few of these songs are covers, and his interpretations of these songs are are quirky and, like, uniquely Harry Nilsson. Uh, But you can totally tell that he was enjoying himself throughout the recording process, even if they do have almost like a novelty song characteristic. I think I read somewhere that he was more concerned about artistic freedom than, you know, conforming to a more commercial sound, which I can appreciate. But I also see some irony in that because I think a lot of the tracks on this album have been licensed for various films and TV shows and commercials. Uh, Like to name a few, the Russian Doll show on Netflix makes use of the first track on the album called Gotta Get Up. And that was... Like, as soon as I hit play on this album, I had flashbacks when I watched this show in 2019. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I have heard of this before. Uh, and then, of course, the Coconut Song, which Scott talked about earlier. That's appeared in countless movies and TV shows. Uh, and the song Let the Good Times Roll has been used on commercials. Jump Into the Fire, which Scott also just spoke about, was used in The Goodfellas, which is one of my favorite movies. And R.I.P. to Ray Liotta. Um... Anyway, I didn't really find myself particularly drawn to any of the tracks on the album, but I didn't hate any of them either. Um, I I guess a few standouts for me. Obviously, the the Coconut song has to be in there, right? Uh, It's it's just a catchy song. And fun fact, uh, as I was looking at Wikipedia articles of that song, I found out that a guy named Caleb Quay, uh, who was a session guitarist for bands like Led Zeppelin and Elton John and the Rolling Stones is credited as the guitarist on the song Coconut. And I only bring that up because several years back, I actually received some guitar lessons from Caleb Quay. So that's fun. Uh, His song, Early in the Morning, this is a cover of a blues song that was originally released by a guy named, I think, Louis, Louis Jordan is his name, back in 1947. I think this is actually my favorite song on the entire album. Mostly because it's sort of stripped down instrumentally. It's it's bluesy. And um, I think by stripping the instruments down, it allows Nilsson's vocal prowess to stand out. And it turns out this dude's got a killer voice. So he's got an amazing vocal control, really great range. He can hit like three and a half octaves or something, and, and he hits them all in this one song. And lastly, Jump Into the Fire, as Scott mentioned, being a, a, a good tune. It's got the most rock and roll attitude of all the tracks on the album. 
Uh, it does run a little long. It's like seven and a half minutes or something like that. And I think it could probably do without some of the long musical instrumental interlude, but it's a fun high energy track. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's kind of my initial take on this album. Let's throw it over to Scott Coates. Yeah, thanks, Alan, and thanks, Scott and Darren, for picking this one. Wow, I had never heard of this fella either, which is so interesting because I thought I was pretty well-versed in music, but, yeah, I hadn't heard of it at all. And I got to be honest, the first time I put it on, for the first couple of songs, I thought Darren was literally playing a joke on us because the first couple of songs are just so weird. And I was doing some work, and I heard Gotta Get Up, Gotta, and I'm like, what is this? It sounded like something that would be played at the beginning of a circus or something. And then the second song came on. I think it's a driving song, and there's sounds of cars and stuff in the back. And I, I honestly thought Darren had pulled, like, a joke on us. And I looked back at the email to see if he'd put something in there to give you know, give us a hint that it was a joke. And then I just kept listening and I'm like, no, I, this isn't a joke, but this is a very, very odd album. Now, I don't like it like Scott liked it, and I'm more in the Allen camp on this one, but yeah, just what an odd and unique album. And I agree with you, the guy has a, a fantastic voice. Um, yeah, he's a great singer, no question, but got to get up. What a weird, happy, regretful one night stand sort of song it really also reminded me of scenes from italian restaurant by billy joel which came out in 1977 but there was just huge vibes of kind of yeah billy joel wings scott you mentioned wings and i i noted down to myself like there's a bit of paul mccartney to this maybe not in the quality of the songs but just in the voice and the styling i really also kept thinking of Steve Miller a tiny bit, but also Sergeant Pepper. Just that kind of sound effects and quirkiness and festival. It just had that like festival circus sort of vibe the whole way through. Um, early in the morning, yeah, really stood out as something like a Paul McCartney sound to it. Um, almost like a commercial. Um, Without You, I mean, massive song, right? Mariah Carey blew that one out of the water. And I once spent over an hour in a Sydney, Australia bus station with a video jukebox and some crazy person kept playing that song over and over and over for more than an hour. So I'm a bit averse to it. Coconut is just a, a fun, fun song. I mean, you put that on and you'll feel better than you did a few minutes before. It's it's a really neat, unique song. So, I mean, this, this guy cranked out a couple massive hits that are still going to be, you know, featured in advertisements 30, 40, 50 years from now. Uh, Let the Good Times Roll. Man, that just really stuck out as a good country song to me. And Jump Into the Fire is, is a great song. Like, it is really good, and I've heard it in so many movies and TV shows now. Like, that one really kind of perked me up, and I went, how did this guy that I've never heard of either cover or write and sing about four massive songs on here? And and I still can't figure out this album. And then it just, the the ender of I'll Never Leave You, like, how odd. You have Jump Into the Fire, which is just rocking it. Like, the album should have ended there. And then you got this weird slow song. So, yeah, I'm glad I heard it, but I, I'm just not... I'm still not sure what to make of it. I, I don't know what it is. It's so diverse. It's so weird. It's off on all angles. Guy's a great voice. He wrote some massive songs that have been covered by others that are kind of timeless, but I'm still not sure if I like it. It's really peculiar. Anyway, I'll throw it off to you, Darren. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's it's raising a good conversation. Uh, 
for me, I'm, yeah, I, I'm actually, I'm embarrassed as you know, I, I love my music. I consider myself a massive music fan, even a historian somewhat, just because I like so many genres and do things. And I was mad at myself that I actually didn't know this guy better. Um, it's amazing. There's actually a really good uh, documentary called uh, Who is Harry Nilsson? There's an extended title there, but that's uh, the main one. Um, and it's worth watching. It's, it's very, very interesting. Um, he was raised really poor in New York. Um, dad left super early and, and he heard his dad died, but he didn't. And he just hit on him and was in Florida. Uh, at 15, he moved from New York to L.A. 15, can you imagine? Um, so he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder and that actually led to his demise a bit. Uh, his whole family had alcohol problems uh, and it would continue. And he was known for being absolutely crazy. Uh, anyway, um, <clears throat> I actually have a, I have a lot to say about this. I'll try and get through it as concise as I can. But I, I actually, this, this guy really kind of caught my attention. And yeah, it's a bit, it is a bit date sounding. But I think uh, Harry Nilsson's sense of melody, and one thing, and okay, so some, I just admitted I felt stupid that I didn't know him, but something that made me feel really smart, I listened to this album a few times, and I'm like, you know what, this guy could have been a fucking Beatle. Like, like I think his sense of melody and his voice, uh, I, I, I think if he could have been reined in, and like he could have. So here's, here's a funny thing. When the Beatles were at the height of their popularity, they were asked, who's your number one favorite American artist? Fucking... Harry Nilsson. So John Lennon and Ringo Starr were like, became good friends with him and they would party with him. And they absolutely thought he was like an absolute leader in melody and song composition and how he used his vocal talents. So, I mean, that just goes to show the level of influence and power that he had. Uh, another quirky thing nobody's mentioning yet. The guy did not perform live. He never performed live. He never toured, never did concerts. I think, you know, there would be some TV specials and there's some very limited things. Um, and there's even a few ones where um, they would film them and, and like he would perform, but only like behind a curtain or something like that. So uh, very interesting. He made all his money just from writing. Apparently he had like really bad self-esteem and was, you know, I just didn't feel confident in performing in front of people. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, real interesting fella. So he got into the partying as well. And so Alice Cooper had this like Hollywood Vampires Club, if you've ever heard of it. So like Alice Cooper started it, Ringo started it, John Lennon would show up. Um, yeah, John Belushi would be in it. Like it's and basically you could only join the club if you could out drink and out party all the members to get into the club. So, I mean, it was at the Rainbow Room in Hollywood. They had another wow. bar in England. I'm forgetting the name. So, I mean, this guy, this guy's a fucking legend. And apparently that was his thing. He was an absolute party animal. Ringo Starr said when he got sober that he was such good friends with Harry Nilsson, but he realized he couldn't be around him because Harry Nilsson would just be out of control. Like, uh, you know, I heard one story where it was just like he would just show up at four in the morning and knock on your door and you're like, OK, I guess my next three days are written off. He was that kind of guy um, <laughs> liked his drugs and drink. He died at 52. I didn't even, when I picked this, I didn't even know if he was still alive, but he died in 19, January 1994. He's only 52 years old, which is exactly how old I am. So. Kind of got to pick up my party, and if I want to keep pace with Nilsson Smilson. Um, anyway, um, you also mentioned a little bit about uh, the the backing vocals and the harmonies, melodies. Um, there, funny, there was actually a quote somebody uh, 
a label, somebody from a label saying that uh, he should have way credited his background singers better. And they're like, there was no background singers. He was one of the first to really take advantage of uh, multi-tracking. So, and he would do it. I guess he used up to 16 tracks, which for that, at that time, that was, that technology was just coming out. So like basically he was the auto tune of his era, which sounds hilarious, but it was all him. Like he would actually sing the original track, but then just add all these harmonies and melodies on top of himself by, by tracking it. So it's all him. So his vocal control and ability, and apparently he would just sit in the room and just do it. Like one take, snap, he would be right over, over the top of it. So I, I think talent-wise, he was amazing. Uh, he was known to be absolutely impossible to work with. He, they said he could be the nicest guy and just absolute pure evil. So uh, when he did... Um, uh, his Nelson Smilson album, which was the most commercially successful, uh, Richard Perry, he got to produce it. Uh, but he said to him, he's like, okay, um, Richard Perry said to him, I'll do it, but only if you give me control. And I guess that worked for a while. And this and it was why. So he really helped kind of rein in his talent, but keep him under control a bit. I guess in the end, the relationship got strained. They did two albums together, but that was it. Um, but they said that this this battle, but like later on, then the drugs and alcohol took over. So apparently after this album, the next one's okay. And this starts kind of his demise. You know, I, I just thought this was amazing. And one thing I like too, I think the first two songs or whatever, they're only like two minutes long. Both of those songs, I kind of felt they were just getting into it and then they ended. And I'm like, that was weird. I thought that that song could have went for at least another 30 seconds, a minute or whatever. But to me, I was like, that is cool because... I think now somebody would get a good hook or a melody and they would just freaking put it on a loop and be the drum machine and fucking kill it. And it'd be a seven minute song. And I know there is a six minute song at the end of this album, but I actually appreciate that he had these amazing melodies and hits. He's just like, no, I just only have two verses and it's this long and that's good. And uh, I think that just shows to his presence and that he was just in control uh, and that understood like, that that was all he had to do like that song is beautiful leave it as it is and move on um so this album itself i thought was interesting that way i do agree it sounded slight it just sounds a little bit dated now um but i i just think it's amazing and and i i keep getting that beatles vibe and and now i found out after that's almost what they were um going for and there's even stories that that he influenced the beatles so some of the beatles later albums came after this and they think that the beatles actually borrowed from him so it's like crazy crazy Anyway, that's enough rambling from me. Obviously, I, I liked it. Not perfect for me, but pretty freaking close. So uh, let's go back to score. Scott Gregory. Yeah, I, I agree with you about the, the timing of the songs type of thing. It's, I, I look at punk, and punk is really in that two to three minute range where they get in, they've got a message, they've got you know a punch that they want to deliver, and then they're out. This album does that too, and I appreciate that. Uh, for scores... Uh, this is like early 70s, so influencing, um, you know, I we talk about going back and listening to someone's discography, and I don't say that myself very often, but this is, you know, I'm going to go check out Harry's full discography now. It's deeply interested me. 1971 was an amazing year for music all around. We could just pick monthly the entire time, and this is a standout in that year for for me amongst all those albums so i'll give it a 4.5 uh i'll give it a five for a recommend this is just a, a quirky fun well put together album both uh you know instrumentally and vocally uh I, you know i love bands like cake cake and 
presidents of the United States, bands that are doing something different and are pushing the envelope. And he's definitely doing that here. So uh, for the 70s, when it was already a creative time to stand out amongst that, that, that's a five for a recommend. You have to check them out. So averaging that out overall, I'll give it a 4.5 based on the strength of how much I dislike I'll Never Leave You. I'm docking him half a point, sorry. Uh, Giving a total of (laughs) 4.5. All right, Alan. Okay. uh, Yeah, I think I'm pretty lukewarm on this album, unfortunately. I don't hate it, but none of the tracks really move me enough to add them to any playlist, nor do they really overly inspire me to dive much deeper into so his... without them you couldn't live anymore is but you're disagreeing with that yeah you could live <laughs> you could live without the album that's coco nuts man yeah mm. yeah coco nuts <laughs> i put it like sorry me. keep going <laughs> um yeah I'm, I'm just i don't know i i appreciate novelty music scott you listed off a couple of my favorites there presidency usa bangers i still to this day unironically listen to cake um but yeah just none of the none of the tracks on nilsen schmilson really hit home for me so unfortunately i'm giving it a two and a half as my overall rating um which is you know pretty much as lukewarm as as i could make it uh recommend i'm giving it a two i don't know it like scott coates kind of he summed it up pretty well it's it's sort of like carnival when you listen to it it's carnival music almost but not quite uh influenced my taste i'll give it a two so two and a half overall recommend is a two and influence is a two over to you scott coates yeah thanks alan this is I keep saying it's just such a weird, strange one. It's really interesting, Darren, that you brought up that some of the Beatles liked him because, you know, Scott mentioned Wings and I mentioned sort of like, yeah, thinking of Wings and McCartney and and I thought of Billy Joel. Like, it's it's not a bad album at all. It's it's very Beatles-esque. Um, you mentioned Russian Doll and it was so weird. I'd never heard of this guy or that song. The first day I listened to Gotta Get Up, that night I started watching Russian Doll and it's in that first episode over and over and I just thought like hang on this is kind of creepy to hear this weird song and then I hear it in a TV show the same day um, it's also bizarre that there's so many well known songs on this but this thing just didn't grab me and how did this guy, this is a seventh album, slip entirely through the cracks of our radar, I'm not saying that I know all music but you know, this guy cranked out, what, probably three, four massive hits here and still never heard of him, not ringing any bells. It just all slips through, it kind of into this void. And so influence, I just got to give it a one because it's it's not influencing me. I know that period well. Um, I, oh, recommend? I'll give it a two. But I just, again, I don't think it's bad. It's just so weird. I just can't put my finger on it. I can't define it. And overall, I'm just going to give it a 1.5. And again, I think you're justified, Scott Gregory, giving it a four and a half or a five, because it is a good album. There's great vocals. There's great musicianship. There's big hits. But for me, I don't know. It just doesn't do it. And I'm not even sure why. But uh, yeah, anyway, it's it sure is a, an interesting, weird one, Darren. And the, and the picture on the front almost sums it up. Like, 
did he just wake up and forget the photo shoot that day and he's in a robe and so let's just rock with it like i can't figure out the cover either so there's nothing no, about no, this i, I actually out. i i have it reverse figured out i have okay. it reverse figured out it was let's like after very recently i'm like i'm like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna name a movie and you're gonna be like holy fuck the big lebowski mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he's the fucking dude that cover is the dude he's from the, the Big Lebowski. He's the fucking dude. He's the dude. dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I just watched yeah. that yeah. recently. You were right. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. He is one hundred percent the dude. And think, like, he was a, a super party animal, just like high all the time. Like, yeah, he was <laughs> that guy. Yeah, uh, yeah, he was the dude. I'm like, I think the Big Lebowski borrowed something from that cover in the development of the dude character for sure. Huh that's i mean i'm just guessing i i just thought but like it just came to me i'm like fuck it's the dude from the big lebowski it's 100 yeah um scott sorry are you are you finished are you yeah ready? no i said i threw over to you yeah perfect perfect all right um yeah i mean i, I actually really like this one because we were kind of all over the map here um i think we all agree like he he's an amazing musician and artist and me too um and yeah obviously had severe drug uh, addiction and I mean, he was raised in poverty, had a lot of mental issues and things like that. Um, but I think for this moment in time and for where it was, um, as, as, a, as a big music fan, and I'll put that asterisk in there, like I think, like Alan, like you said, I think for somebody younger, this might seem too dated or hard to get into, but I just think it's one of those albums that just in that moment, and uh, there's some other hits too that I was like, what? Like one, one is the loneliest number, that song. And everybody's talking from uh, the uh, Midnight Cowboy soundtrack, mm. the one picture of the year soundtrack of the year. Like that's that's him too. Huh. Um, he had some hits, and I'm like, what? Like how do, how have I not known this guy? Um, so I'm just gonna I'm really approaching this from that. I mean, personally, I didn't know him super well. I might uh, rate it a little lower, but I want to do this justice. I actually am a big fan of this album. I think. Uh, um, influential. Um, I'm rating it more on just what it was in the moment and considering the frickin' Beatles said that it was their most favorite artist. Um, like, I, th I think right there, I think that's a five. I think he's highly influential. I think he influenced the Beatles. His sense of melody and pop and uh, is, is on par with some of the best. Like, later on, did the drugs destroy him and he had control issues? Yeah, he probably could have been a much better artist and bigger and he should have been. Um, would I recommend five? And again, that's with, uh, if you're a music fan, I think it's worth listening to this album. You might not love it. Like, you know, uh, like some in the group, uh, as much, but I think you'll same thing, at least come in and appreciate what it was and understand like the vocal range and just the sense of melody and the talent that this, uh, this man had, um, overall, I am going to ding it one. I am, I'm just going to give it a four overall, which is weird because I gave two fives, but that's, I, I do think again, um, I always think personally, like, Am I going to go back and listen to this all the time uh, when I play my records at night? And I think I will now and then, uh, but I don't think it's like this is one of my favorite albums that I absolutely have to. It's not in that realm um, for me, but it is an amazing album for its time. Um, very influential. And I, again, I'm embarrassed and still can't believe I, I never heard of this guy. Um, it just, yeah, I mean, he died in the 90s and just didn't do much after really this time. So I think he just kind of eroded over time, which is unfortunate. Um, Darren, yeah, so that's it. Darren, you no, it can't be it. I still have a hanging question. Oh, what's the what should question? what should I pair this album with? Oh yeah, cannabis wise. Yeah, I am usually pretty pretty good for recommending a good cannabis, aren't I? Um, 
Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I you don't have this, this is the one well, you know, podcast this one, you don't have a recommendation prepped. <laughs> well, you know, I've been going back to a lot of the same stuff recently, but uh, <laughs> you know, hey, uh, spinach GMO cookies is always one of my favorites with this too. Yeah. And uh, I am on a nice uh, Legend, which is a local Calgary company here that does some nice edibles, and they have a nice orange dark chocolate uh, edible. It's 10 milligrams THC. Very nice. Highly recommended. Not too bad on the carbs either for those on the uh, low-carb diets. Uh, anyway, anyway, this, this was fun. It was interesting. And, and I actually like for this one, like all four of us had no clue who this guy was. And uh, so we all kind of went in blind. And that's pretty rare on this. That Usually one or two will kind of know the artist a little better. And I, we, none of us really did. And uh, uh, in general, I think it came out that, you know, interesting guy. But uh, so Scott Coates, you're up next. Do you want to uh, give any hints or what are you, what are you thinking about for next pick? I'm thinking of many things and I threw some albums at you guys to ask you if you'd heard them. I'm not necessarily picking those albums either. It was to see if you knew albums within a certain wheelhouse. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to figure it out today, but I've got some tough decisions to make. I, I just did see there is a documentary as well called Who is Harry Nilsson and Why is Everyone Talking About Him? It came out in 2010 and it gets 86 on the tomato meter. So might be worth checking out that documentary as well so yeah i did mention it that's the one i mentioned that i just i again i didn't do the full title but uh yeah it is good i've watched it hmm. it's quite good it's an interesting story and you realize how incredibly big he was at that time and that's what i think when i watched it i'm like i was like how the hell have i not heard of him yeah same same question i'm asking myself yeah it's yeah. a mystery all right. Well, that's another great episode. Uh, thanks to Scott, Scott, and Alan. Uh, once again, this is uh, the Sonic Collective. I'm Darren Scott. We're always on your favorite podcast platforms and always at thesoniccollective.com. Check us out there. <laughs> Scott's next. All right, guys. Thanks. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks for listening and exploring with us. We'll be back real soon with another pick and critique of albums that matter here at the Sonic Collective.